Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jason Allison. I'm the pastor of Spiritual Formation. And uh, Sean and uh, CR actually both uh, abandoned me this, I mean, uh, went on vacation this week. And uh, no, I, uh, they had a good, good week off of, of resting and uh, refueling. And so I'll be excited to have them back uh, this week. But you're stuck with me. I, I want to say welcome to those of you that are online uh, watching us. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we, we know that there's lots of things you could be doing on a beautiful Sunday morning and to take time to uh, stop and pause and simply be together with other people and, and to watch and to worship together is, is really an important aspect of life. And so uh, we just want to thank you for being here and being part of this. Uh, I'm going to dive right into our text today and, and start by just reading it. If you do have your Bible or you have uh, you, you know, your device with you that you use to find verses and so forth, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 11, uh, and it's starting in verse 28. And I want to read that, and then we will just dive in and see what, what God has for us this morning as we uh, read his word together. So, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, it says, Then Jesus said, Come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. These past five weeks now, we've been exploring the series that we're calling The Chase. We've talked about how we can chase after God, how we can pursue God. We, we've talked about uh, what worship is and how that's part of chasing God. We've talked about listening to God. We've talked about repenting. We've talked about obedience. We, we've talked about all these things, about what it is. And together, or today, hopefully, I can, I can tie some things together and, and, and wrap up our, our series uh, because, you know, we, we've been looking at all these things, and, and all of these fall into, honestly, uh, our mission statement as a church. Like, what we are really trying to uh, empower people, encourage people, equip people to do. What we want to accomplish uh, as a church body and as individuals. Uh, we, we use this phrase a lot, and I'm sure you've heard Sean say it multiple times from here. Uh, we, we say we want to make a difference in our community. And we want to do this by, and we have three things after that that we want to do to try to make that difference. We, we want to pursue God. We, we want to commune or connect with believers. And then we want to have influence with unbelievers. That's how we want to make a difference. That's what it is to be part of Press Church. That's what Press Church is pressing forward to do to make that kind of difference. And so over the last five weeks, we've really focused on that first part where we talk about pursuing God, the chase. This is what we've been talking. We want to make sure that everything we do moves in that direction of, of pursuing a relationship with God. Because if that's not the beginning point of making a difference in our community, then quite honestly, we're not doing anything that's going to last or have any significance. Because it starts with pursuing God. Now, 
we focused on these things, and, and here's something that I've noticed in my life. And, and maybe you've noticed this, maybe you've never thought about it, I don't know. But what I've noticed in my life is too often, I've gotten things switched around, right? I try to make a difference so that I can connect with God. I try to make such a big splash, I try to make such a big impact that maybe then God will notice me and he will come after me. Right? I, I find that in my life, I get those things switched around, and, and, and I want God to notice me. I want God to, to say, oh, look what you did. Now I'll come you know, connect with you. And yet I, I know, you know that's, a, that's, a very, that's a very American way to look at things, right? I mean, that's how we attack everything in our life. You know, when you go to, to an interview with, for a job, what do you do? You tell them the things that you're good at, that you can accomplish, that why you would be a good part of their team. And once you're on a team, once you're part of a job situation, what do you do? You do things well, so hopefully you get a raise, or you get a promotion, or you get the next better job, whatever the case is. Even in relationships, we do this, don't we? Right? We, we, we pursue that, that, that one person, and we try to do things that, that win their attention. We woo them. We, we, we try to make them like, we do it with our kids, or with our parents. We try to do something to get their attention. Now, kids, you know, quite often they do something negative to get your attention. Uh, that's one thing I learned as a parent, that I am the best toy that my kids have because I have more lights and whistles and bells and movements. The more buttons they push, the more excitement they get out of me, and that can be very entertaining for them, even when it's not necessarily the right kind of pushing buttons. But that's how we approach life. And so we need to understand that as we pursue God, as we chase after God, there's nothing that you can do that's going to get his attention more, that's going to make him like you more. That's not the purpose of chasing after God, because you can't, you can't overcome that. You, by yourself, cannot catch God. The, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and I'm sure all of you probably spent some time this morning just you know, reading through that, uh, the, the longer catechism uh, in, in chapter 7. It starts out this way. It says, The distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward. But... By some voluntary condescension on God's part. In other words, you can't get to God unless God comes to us first. So as we go back to the text that we started the morning with, what is Jesus teaching us as he makes this statement to these people? I mean, there's lots of people around when he makes this statement. It's not some private little quiet discussion he's having with his disciples or with those few people that he wants to keep close to him. Or any, it's, This is said to a crowd, to a group of people standing there. He says, listen, the only reason that you can pursue God is because of what I am going to do on your behalf. And he says, I want you to come to me when you're weary, when you're tired, when you're worn out, when you don't think you can do enough, when you don't think you're good enough, you come to me and let me cross that gap. 
Let me handle things for you. Let me do the work. Because you can't do it on your own. I mean, that's what Jesus said. And the very first thing that he says in, in this passage, he, he makes it clear. Our burdens, especially our religious burdens, slow us down in the chase after God. Now, what does he say? He says, listen, come to me, all of you who are weary from carrying heavy burdens. Okay, he wasn't talking about because you, you know, had a big heavy pack that you were carrying. He was saying within the context of understanding who God is and understanding what's going on in your life, most of you, most of the people who are sitting there listening to him, he said, you have tried to follow all these rules. You've tried to do all these things. You've tried to accomplish something. You've tried to be good enough. And it was too much. It was too heavy. You can't do that. You could never be good enough for God to say, oh, look at him. Well, that, I, okay, I got I to gotta check him out. You can't do that. That burden is too heavy for you to do. And so what does Jesus do? Instead of saying, okay, so let me give you three more rules that'll make it eat. No, no, he says, come to me. Start here. I'm not, I'm not going to lay more heavy stuff on you. Instead, I want to actually help. Because, see, those burdens that we carry... Those keep trying to do and do and do. Those things actually end up slowing us down in our pursuit of God. Now, the context of Jesus saying this, right? If you go back in the chapter a little bit, you can see what's going on. He's actually been in some towns. It says he's gone around the towns and he's preaching. He's teaching. He's talking to people. And in the midst of this, uh, John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, sends some of his disciples over to ask Jesus a question. And, and we think John was probably in prison at this moment. And we learn later that he actually ends up being beheaded, uh, right? And, and he's a martyr. He's, he's, he's killed. But he sends his disciples over with a very simple question. To Jesus, they ask him, are you the one or should I expect another? And, and, and Jesus says, well, what do you see happening? What, what do you, look, look around. Instead of just directly answering this, let me just ask you, what do you see? Do you see, uh, you know, lame people walking? Do you, do you see blind people getting their sight back? Do you, do you see deaf people hearing? Do you, do you see even the dead being raised? Have you seen that happening? Because, you know, that's what's going to happen when the Messiah comes and I think if you just look around, I think I've answered my own question. I think you've answered your own question. Yeah. And then he turns to the crowd, and, and this is interesting, because he looks at the crowd and he says, listen, I, I got I, I to explain something to you guys. John, you know, he was a, he's a great man. And, and, and he was the preacher. He was the one that God chose to do this, and it's wonderful, and, and all these things. But he says, listen, you, you guys, I want you to hear something. You, you saw John, and he was one of those, I mean, he was weird, okay? The cicadas that are going on right now, everybody hear them, okay? I'm, I was walking outside, and it's just, it's almost deafening, right, at times. Okay, John the Baptist, when he came, he took a Nazaritic vow, which meant he didn't cut his hair, and he never drank wine, and he lived out in the wilderness, and it says that he ate locust and honey, and let's be honest, cicadas are basically really gross locusts. Not that locusts are all that cute to begin with, Right? So that's what he ate. And the people saw him and they said, oh, he's just off his rocker. We don't think he's really from God. 
And, and he said, but then Jesus said, but I come and I actually sit down and I eat with sinners and I eat with all of you and I, I spend time around the table in fellowship with you. And now you're saying that I couldn't be the one because I'm a glutton and I eat with sinners and I drink with sinners. There's no way that I could be the one. He says, you know, what are you guys thinking? No matter what we do, you're not going to believe who we are. You don't trust that we're truly from God. And, and then he says uh, there in, in Matthew, starting in verse 16 of chapter 11, he says, to what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They, they complain to their friends. We played wedding songs, and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs, and you didn't mourn. John he didn't spend time eating and drinking. You say, he's possessed by a demon. He's crazy. The Son of Man, on the other hand, he feasts and he drinks. And you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of, of sinners and tax collectors. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. He rebukes the crowd because he looks at them and says, listen, you have been pursuing God. You have been trying to establish a relationship with your God on your own terms. Right, the games that he was talking about, right? The kids would play these, this music and they would want everyone to do what they were doing, right? Have you ever been around a group of kids and one of them says, hey, let's play this game? And, and I just, the other, last week I was standing out in my backyard doing something. There's kids that live right behind us. And, and they were, there's several of them playing on the swing set. And I hear one say, okay, okay, this time you pretend. And then they had this elaborate thing that they had to pretend to do. And I'll pretend this. And, and then you, like they had this whole thing laid out. And, and, and then the other kid looked at him and said, no, 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 this time you pretend. And they had a whole other scenario to lay out. And they're like, no matter what they proposed, someone had something else they wanted to do. And she's saying, you guys are like a group of kids. You, you start doing one thing and want us to dance to that. Since we're not dancing, fine, let's do something else. And we don't dance to that one either. And we keep going back and forth. You want to pursue God on your own terms instead of waiting and listening and obeying and pursuing God on his terms. You see, their terms of pursuing God had become a major burden that they couldn't bear. There's nothing that they could do that would completely get them to the point where they knew God, even when they were making the terms up themselves and adding to the rules so that they would be better at it. They couldn't get to the point where they could truly find God. And Jesus said, you need to just stop. There honestly, has that much changed? I mean, when I look at my life, I, I know I've made my pursuit of God way more difficult and burdensome than God probably ever intended it to be. I've added guilt and shame and rules and God's like, I just want to be with you. I just want, I, I want to walk with you. I, I want to be with you. I want to communicate with you. I, I just want, I, I, don't, I don't need you to accomplish great things for me. I need you to just be with me. What burdens have you added to your pursuit of God? I mean, what things did you carry in here saying, well, if I could just get this right, if I could just do this, if I could just finish this, then, then I can find God. Then I can develop that strong relationship with him. Then I can do it. They're holding you back. 
They're slowing you down. How about you just pause and say, God, what do you want me to do? What, what, what do you want me to, you just want me to rest? Because that's where Jesus goes next. He says, listen, I want you to engage God, but here's the thing. Number two, Jesus says, I'm going to join you in the cause, in the chase. He says, you've been doing all this stuff. You've been trying to figure it out. You've been adding to, and you've been making up these rules and trying. But he says, listen, I, I want to join you. He says, take my yoke. Let me teach you. And just so you know, it's yoke, Y-O-K-E, not yolk, like the middle of an egg, okay? It's yoke. And, and most of you probably know what a yoke is. I don't know if there are any farmers here. I'm doubting there are any that actually have a wooden yoke that they have used. Maybe there are. I don't know. Um, but here's the thing. A yoke is personally carved to each animal, right? And, and so it's something that they put on the animals. It yokes them together so they work as a team to accomplish whatever the goal is. Maybe it's plowing the field. Maybe it's moving something, whatever it is. Well, in especially in the first century, it was not uncommon for a rabbi, one of the people who walked around teaching, who would develop a following of disciples. It wasn't unusual for people to call their way of doing things, right? Their kind of list of, of rules, their, their way of handling scripture. It's their set of teachings. It was called their yoke. And a disciple would take that yoke upon him and follow in that teacher's footsteps. And so Jesus is, is using that metaphor in this case, and he's saying, listen, I, I, you can take my yoke, take my, my teaching, because here's the thing, they're easy, and they're light. They're not going to weigh you down. They're not going to hold you back. They're actually going to help you move forward in what you're doing. And, and if we just look at a yoke, and Jesus take it in face value and, and see what he means in this metaphor, the thing is, a, a yoke would be crafted just for the oxen that it was going to be put on. And it had to be, you know, personalized because if it wasn't, it would pull at them. It, it could pinch, it could hurt them, it would make them way less efficient. It could cause long-term damage if it wasn't put on correctly, if it wasn't shaped to their exact shape. So that's important to understand. It, it's, it was designed just for that one ox. But the other side of that is, most of the time, obviously, they would yoke two oxen together or two animals together to accomplish it. Most of the time, they would take an older, more experienced animal and pair it with a younger one. And the two would be yoked together so the older one could kind of lead and guide and teach and train the younger one in the way to get things done. So when Jesus says, listen, take my yoke upon you, he's not saying, I've got this thing, I'm going to put it on you so you can be productive for me. Jesus is saying, I want you to listen to what I'm going to teach you. I want you to hear what I'm saying because I am going to join you in the chase. I am going to be right beside you. I'm not in the back driving you. I am right beside you teaching you how to do this so that we actually get more accomplished because I'm the one at your side. Somebody here needs to hear this, but Jesus is next to you. Jesus is on your side in this. He's not looking at you going, man, if you just get this right, I'd finally bless you. He's saying, no, 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 I'm walking right beside you. I have the same yoke 
We are together in this. I am actually working with you in your pursuit of God. Will you trust him? Will you take a deep breath and just say, okay, how about you, you pull for a minute? Need a break. See, we don't have to have everything figured out before we can chase after God, before we can pursue a relationship with him. We don't have to have everything figured out before God will finally allow us to catch him. Instead, we just need to say, Jesus, here I am. I'm going to trust you each day to help me in this journey. I'm going to wake up each morning and say, okay, here I am. I don't know what to do today exactly, but I'm going to walk with you and we'll figure it out as we go. That's what he means when he says, take my yoke upon you. Because I'm going to be right next to you. Pulling right along with you. And the great thing is, because Jesus is God, is that the third thing that we learn from this passage, very simply, is Jesus gives us the inside scoop on God. Right? I mean, what, what does he say? He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, because I'm going to teach you what God is actually like. I'm going to teach you who God is. If you look one verse prior to our passage, in verse 27... He says it pretty plainly. My father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father. And no one truly knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. In other words, when you take his yoke upon you, he says, now I'm going to give you the inside scoop on catching God. I'm going to give you the inside scoop in making progress in that relationship, that intimacy that you desire with God. I'm going to teach you stuff that you're not going to learn on your own, that you can't accomplish on your own. I'm going to be teaching you in this process. He says, let me tell you what the Father is like. It's kind of like, anybody here remember, I know these newfangled games, I sound old even saying that, but yeah, these, these new video games and all that. I remember uh, that there was... Um, you could get cheat codes for, for some like old Nintendo games and things like this. And, and like for, uh, I think it was Commando, it was like up, down, up, down, right, left, right, left, A, B, A, B, A, B, or something like that. And you got like unlimited lives and all this stuff. Like there were cheat codes that you could you know, do and you could use and, and get. And, and it's almost like Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you the cheat codes here. I'm going to let you in on some stuff to know that God is not trying to keep you away. He is not running away from you basically says, listen, you don't need to get God's attention by doing something spectacular. You already have it. He already knows you and loves you. in the book of James. And, and we think that James, the guy who wrote the book of James, uh, was probably Jesus' brother, half-brother, obviously. So he probably knew Jesus pretty well. But he writes this letter to the church. And in it, in, in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Draw near to God, 
and he will draw near to you. Just cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Listen, get close to God. Every step you take toward God, he's taken 20 toward you. He's taken 100 toward you. It's not just a little thing. It's not just a little step here and there. No, he's saying, listen, I am pursuing you already. God has flipped the script on the chase. You don't have to chase and catch God. He is already pursuing you. You. No matter what you think you've done or where you think you've gone, that he couldn't find you, he wouldn't want you. You need to hear that God is pursuing you. And we know that because Jesus revealed to us what God was like by becoming one of us and dying on the cross for us and rising again to say, now I am going to walk with you in your pursuit and your connection with God. And so the question today is, will you trust that God is already at work, that God is already chasing you, And as you pursue him, he is pursuing you way more than you could ever pursue him. Will you trust that what Jesus accomplished has already brought you into God's attention? Will you trust that? Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you, that would be God, is faithful to complete it. Not because you accomplished all these things, but because he has accomplished it in you. And what better way to remember this, to remind ourselves of this, to renew that passion for God, knowing that his passion for us is already in place, than to take communion together. And today we're going to do that. And for those of you at home uh, or watching somewhere else, if you want to grab a, a cracker or, and a little piece of juice, uh, we're, we're going to take communion together. And uh, there are tables at the back of each of these sections. And I'm going to ask you to actually stand up and go get something. Go get uh, a piece uh, of the little communion uh, thing. And I'm asking you to do this because we're talking about the chase. We're talking about pursuing God. We're talking about what does it take to actually come into his presence. And sometimes we, even though we can't catch him, we need to actually stand up and say, Jesus, here I am. I I, I don't even know what direction. The room's dark. I can't see the table. They put black tablecloths on it. I don't know where it is. But I want to pursue you. I want to find you. I want to know what it is to be in your presence. I want to be held by you because I need you. I can't do this life thing without you. And communion is one of those things that we do that reminds us of who God is. And it reminds us of what Jesus did so that we could even think about pursuing God. Because the great voluntary condescension of God happened in Jesus. And and scripture tells us that on the night he was betrayed, he, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Every time you gather, do this in remembrance 
of me. And so I'm going to ask you if you can peel the very top layer off, which is kind of a pain, I know. Uh, just the top layer. There's a little, I, I guess we could call it a wafer. Um, sorry, COVID has made us go to resort to these things. But this is, this is representative of something. This isn't you know, anything that holy and spiritual in and of itself. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that Jesus came and Jesus' body was broken so that you could be made whole. So together we take this as a reminder and as a renewal of our passion for God that his body was broken for us to take and eat all of you. And after dinner, it says he took a cup of wine, probably a little bigger than this one, and he blessed it. And he said, this, this is another thing I want you to do to remember. This is my blood that is going to be spilled. Because when he did this, it hadn't happened yet. And every time you gather and you do this, I want you to remember what I've done to accomplish this great work for you. This work of renewal, this work of refreshing, this work of connecting you to God. So let's drink this together. Father God, we, we take this, this cup, this bread, and, and we take it and we understand that it is not, there's nothing magical about it. It doesn't give us superpowers or anything like that. But it does remind us of what you did so that we could even pray to you. You took all of our sins upon you and you wiped them out. Sins that we hadn't even done yet. But you said, I am not going to hold that against them because I desire them. I desire a relationship with them. And God, we just thank you for that. And in this very simple act of remembering, Father, I ask that, that it would renew our passion for seeking you because every tiny step we take, you've already taken a thousand toward us. And we thank you for that. May we experience renewal and refreshing in you because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together and let's worship. Lone my sorrow and dead my sin.